My name is Austin. I'm actually I live in New York now. Diane De Blasio. Mm -hmm. I'm from Lo uh, Long Island, New York. My name's Janae, and I'm from Los Angeles. Were you redshirted um, before going to elementary school? Meaning your parents held you back a year, and if yes, why? I was not. No. My brother, yes, but me, no. Okay, I know that's dumb. I get it. <laughs> but it's the holiday time of year. What can I say? And I know that every single administrator, teacher, and student is crawling their way to the last hour of the last day of school when they can throw themselves into the pile of candy canes and elf shoes and reindeer poo and not come out again until the day after New Year's. Is that not right? It's, it's true. It's a, it's a slow plotting process to get to the two weeks off around the holidays. It is. And you talked to me about how this year in particular, which, you know, I don't really think about except as a parent, like, oh my God, how long is it between Thanksgiving and Christmas? Although for a parent, it's actually good. But for a teacher, this year you said was longer than kind of ish normal, right? Uh, uh, most calendars, yes. They have typically, there's a three week um Return to school from Thanksgiving to the next holiday break. And this year, because yeah. of the um, the day on which December 25th falls, uh, there is most schools have four weeks of school. And it's a it's a it's a long it's an extra five days of keeping everyone engaged and keeping energy up and which is really challenging, especially if you're teaching uh, high-risk populations where school is typically the most stable, um, most consistent place that they are um, they're at in their lives. So they really start to um, flail and they start to get very anxious and that's a, that's, that's a lot to deal with um, for an extra five days. Oh, no, I totally get it. Oh, by the way, this is Educated Sisters Fighting Education Ignorance and you are with Kimberly Kay and Melissa Marie, and we are out fighting the good fight, and we hope that you are joining us this week. Um, so, yeah, to to further talk about that, our next episode, we're going to talk to an expert on the balanced academic calendar. Is that not true? It is. We're going to talk with Dr. David Hornack, who has been a principal and a superintendent in district that has practiced a balanced calendar for over two decades. And so it'll be good to talk to him about how we can take the traditional 180-day school year that the United States practices and spread that out a little differently and, and um, in a bit of a more creative way to try to alleviate some of the summer slide that occurs over a 12-week period. So that'll be coming that up. That sounds great. My kid was sliding for the entire last week. I can tell you that. He's um, been for days now campaigning for me to just take him out of school tomorrow because in New York City, for some reason, as of yesterday, like there's a 50% uh, attendance rate for today and tomorrow. 
and I had to get tough with him. Okay, here's tough. I told him I'd pick him up at lunch tomorrow. Um, and then he campaigned further for me to just keep him home. And I was like, nope, can't do it. Sorry. All done. Um, cause I got stuff to do cause hi, Christmas is coming. And in my house, this is a crazy time of year because I, uh, married into a Jewish family. And so we have Thanksgiving, then we have Hanukkah spread over a bunch of time. Then we have Christmas. Then my son was born on New Year's Eve. And then it's my birthday on January 4th. And so by the time we get there and my husband's like, hey, baby, I want to take you to a really fabulous birthday dinner. And I, what I have to say to him is, hi, can we meet up next month? Because I am way too tired to do any of that. Absolutely. I had two calls from two kids this week, my two kids, my two youngest, about um, getting out of uh, school early. So it, um, uh-huh. it is definitely epidemic um, in people are just ready. People are just ready to rest. So I hope that for everyone. It's true. And maybe in a future episode, we can actually talk about it because there have been a couple of studies that have come out and there is a an epidemic of school truancy mm-hmm. like yeah. hasn't been seen in decades in this country. So we're going to do something about that. However, um, today, we're going to talk about academic redshirting. Is that right? And we have an interview coming up that I'm so excited about. Um, who are we going to talk to, Mimi? We're going to talk to Dr. Nancy Fry. She is a professor in the Department of Educational Leadership at San Diego State University. And she couples her academic assignment there um, with a practitioner role as the um, the um, as the dean of academic affairs Woohoo! Yes, at the Health Sciences High and Middle College, um, right there. So it's been um, it's a real pleasure, and we'll learn a lot from her, especially as after the first of the year, um, schools start talking to prospective parents about kindergarten and joining um, the K twelve system. So um, people are people are thinking about this um, decision of sending their students to school at the age of five or a little before five or a little after five. And so it'll be interesting to talk to her and find out a little bit more about what the research says. No, you're absolutely right. So we are going to be back in just a minute with that interview. And uh, thank you for listening. Hey, educated peeps out there. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would do us a great big favor and subscribe to this podcast on Stitcher. And while you're at it, slip on over to Twitter and follow us at EducatedPod because we want to hear about your experiences in education. We want to know what your connection is to education. We want to know what you hear, want to hear about education. And we're going to be on it and we're going to look for it and we're going to follow it. So we are Educated Sisters Fighting Education Ignorance. Fight the fight with us. Welcome back to Educated Sisters Fighting Education Ignorance. You're back with Kimberly Kay and Melissa Marie. And we are terribly, terribly excited to welcome our one of our first uh, education experts on our podcast to help us break down some of the issues that we want to talk about. 
Her name is Nancy Fry, and she's a professor of educational leadership at San Diego State University. She is also an educator at some other educational institutions. She's um, an award winner. She is a published author. She has some insanely cute videos out there that I've seen where she talks about um, some really sweet and wonderful moments in her teaching career that I encourage you to go and look at because she's really full of heart. It's very, very easy to see that. And we have invited her on the show today to help us break down um, the topic of academic redshirting which is uh, popular, it's long-standing, but so many people don't actually understand what it is and why someone might want to do it or might not want to do it. So I'm going to turn it over to Mimi and uh, let's figure some of this out. Welcome, Nancy. Thank you so, so much for helping us on our exploration of what we're trying to do here. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to talk about academic redshirting and what's good for kids and what's good for families. Thanks, Nancy. And I'm just so honored to have you here because of our um, associ uh, association with ASCD um, in our partnership, you as a, an outstanding author of ASCD publications. And um, just so excited to be able to pick your brain about one particular topic in your large toolbox of knowledge. And so thank you so much for giving us your time. I'm so excited and like I said, honored to have you here. Um, this, this idea of academic redshirting is a complex issue, and it really seems to be the intersection of the kindergarten start date and, um, and how that varies across state to state, um, readiness for school, birth dates, preschool experience, and um, I'm so fortunate to be able to make the connection that you've actually researched this and written on this. And we would love to know from you, um, you know, your work around this, the advantages and the disadvantages to academic redshirting, what you think the average citizen just needs to know as they're making a decision that they may feel is right for their own child, and so forth. So, you know, so with that, I'm going to go ahead and, and ask you to just, you know, open up and tell us a little bit about your background and your work around redshirting, um, what you think are the advantages and disadvantages. Uh, so I'll start with a, a little bit of an introduction. I am a school administrator um, uh, working at a middle school and high school. Uh, I'm a professor in educational leadership. I'm also a reading specialist as well as a special education teacher, which now as I'm saying it makes it sound like I can't keep a job. Um, but actually, you know, they all kind of fit together. Um, in one way or another. But around academic redshirting, um, and you're right, Melissa, it is, um, uh, it is a, a subject that families kind of wonder about, should they or shouldn't they? Academic redshirting is the practice of uh, holding a child out uh, at the beginning of their school year for an additional year. In other words, they're eligible to be able to uh, go to kindergarten and the family makes a decision to hold them back for a year uh, before they start kindergarten with the idea in mind that perhaps it will give them an advantage, give their child an advantage um, uh, physically, uh, emotionally, 
as well as cognitively. Um, and, and it is a practice that, uh, that is utilized uh, in, in different ways. And, and I'm going to offer, uh, I'll offer a few statistics first about it. Um, uh, there are, um, uh, there's been a decline in the last couple of years around academic redshirting. It's down uh, about three and a half percent over the last couple of years. Um, uh, but the majority of children who are redshirted, uh, about 70% of them, have birthdays that are in the summer months. Um, uh, they have birthdays that are just before what has become the traditional kindergarten cutoff enrollment date. Um, perhaps that's why we're also seeing a little bit of a decline in many places around the country. That kindergarten enrollment date has moved backwards. Um, uh, for example, uh, it was more common for the kindergarten enrollment date to be like December 1st, and we've seen kind of a trend backwards um, where it's now often closer to September 1st. So you can understand why the majority of children that are redshirted are children that have birthdays in their summer months. In other words, they're, they're just turning five just before coming into kindergarten. And I noticed that when you look at the, um, those cutoff dates across the United States, those vary state to state. Mm -hmm. And um, I, you know, and, and I think that KK and I can offer kind of this, like the extremes of, you know, our states. Yeah. And I know that that has changed over time, but as you said, some states are adopting earlier dates. Yeah. I know. I sort of wonder, like, about which, uh, which state was it? It's like eight is the compulsory mm -hmm. age where they must attend kindergarten, but they could go as early as five. And right. I, I go, who's sitting around figuring that out? And mm -hmm. how come, what would be like, why would you want your kid home till they're eight? Unless you have, you know, like some sort of um, manufacturing going on in your home that you're using your child for slave labor over. <laughs> and and you're right, compulsory education um, dates uh, are, are, and ages are different from state to state, but they often, um, are, when you look at income in, in individual states, often isn't until the age of seven or eight when there's compulsory education. Having said that, very, very few families actually hold their children back for that many years. Um, but having said that, um, uh, in most states as well, in the majority of states, kindergarten is not a requirement. Um, uh, there are very few states in the country where kindergarten is actually a required um, uh, grade level to go into. In many states, um, uh, you can begin in first grade and, and skip kindergarten altogether. And there are a variety of reasons why um, kindergarten is not required in most places. Um, uh, but having said that, and in, in getting to the idea of academic redshirting, um, there, as I said, it's often uh, it often stems from some uh, perceived uh, future advantage that mm -hmm. might be afforded to a child. And I sure. think that there are other things that need to be looked at, um, both in terms of the individual child as well as how it is that we create communities. 
um, uh, in our in our neighborhoods and across our school districts. Um, one of the one of the kind of um, troubling aspects around academic redshirting is that the majority of children that are um, that are redshirted are white males, white boys who are not from economically disadvantaged backgrounds. Um, and uh, there are um, a couple of possible reasons for all of that, but, it, but let's just kind of stay on the, the economically disadvantaged side of it. Um, for many families, especially families um, uh, that are uh, members that would identify as being part of the working poor, for example, um, they can't afford to have their child home for another year. They do need to actually enroll their child. They can't afford to have another year, um, whether it be a daycare, child rearing, um, or, or a parent staying home. It becomes kind of an issue of equity. Um, uh, in some cases, and I think is is worth pausing on just to consider the fact that um, uh, you have to be able to afford to academically uh, redshirt um, a child. But then let's talk about the, the individual benefits. There's been a lot of research that's been done around all of this. The evidence is that any um, advantages um, that might be afforded to that child that is held back for a year are very short-lived. Um, uh, those advantages go away pretty quickly, um, uh, especially in terms of um, uh, physical growth. Um, sometimes you'll hear parents talk about, well, they're concerned because their child may be short in stature, for example, um, and they worry about that. Or they worry about um, social and emotional development, or they are concerned about, you know, just the, the cognitive, the academic uh, demands for all of that. As I said, there can be um, some short-term uh, advantages to all of that. I, w I will say this as well, because I'm an administrator at the middle school and the high school, so I kind of see what happens with kids who are redshirted, you know, it's eight and ten years later. And the other side of it is that as an older member of a grade level, there are some important milestones that happen uh, for adolescents and when they become the oldest person in their grade, they're often kind of um, unhappy about the fact that they're actually in classes with people who are quite a bit younger than them um, uh, compared to their peers. I think one other population that is probably worthwhile um, touching base with is that um, there's a disproportionate number of children that are redshirted, and they're actually children who um, qualify for special education. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it, there can be, again, you know, we're kind of coming into um, uh, concerns about uh, social development, concerns about academic development. And as a special educator, um, I can offer that. Um, early intervention is where it's at. And holding a child out of a school situation for an additional year means that an additional year is lost to that early intervention. Um, uh, it's so much easier to um, positively affect the trajectory of a child's academic career 
early on, and it becomes much more difficult to be able to affect those same changes as they get older. So as, as a group, that's also um, a group that is of concern. Um, we don't want to hold students back, whether they are children who qualify for special education or simply are children who are in need of some early intervention. Um, holding them out of school uh, prevents that early intervention from happening. So if you were to, Nancy, if you were to pass it um, in response to retention or even an element of social promotion, you would probably, in your best opinion, say that academic redshirting shouldn't be used to mitigate either one of those things. Right, exactly. And, you know, it's the, the evidence on retention is even stronger. There, um, there is no positive outcome that is associated with grade level retention. Um, uh, and, uh, and I would encourage um, families and educators to really look very, very carefully at practices around retention and instead to think much more proactively about the early intervention services that we're able to offer to children who are showing those early signs of uh, struggle in one way or another. Simply repeating a year of kindergarten or a year of first grade is an ineffective intervention. Um, and we need to think much more positively about how that happens. My, my interest as just a human being, frankly, is how do we get the message to the people who don't have even the same economic same economic advantages that I do, how do we get the message to them that they have options, that they can look at their child as an individual as opposed to a general grade category? How, what do you suggest in terms of this whole redshirting, holding back, moving forward, et cetera? How do you, how do you see that playing out for the average citizen, no matter what their economic uh, basis. The uh, you know the short message um, uh, in terms of the general public is send your child to school when your child's eligible to go to school. There are good things that can happen, but I'm also going to say this too for schools for educators. We should be doing a better job of outreach um, to families, and we should be um, we should be upfront about um, uh, addressing concerns that families have, those concerns are real concerns. And, um, and, and we need as schools and as school systems to make um, and create a safe place for families to be able to share what their concerns are and for us to be able to equip them with as much information as we possibly can. And we need, quite frankly, to make those spaces so that families understand that there is a place in that classroom for every single child, not just the ones that we choose to have in a particular classroom. And I just applaud your message, Nancy, and really appreciate um, you as far as trying to unify us as, as, as educators, because this, you know, we're hoping that this podcast will be a platform not only to help the general public understand the nuances and the 
very complex work we do in schools, but also to support and really bring us together as educators to do, um, you know, to, to do what's best for, for kids, right? And to really um, advocate for, um, for all of our students and, and all of our families and communities as well. So I, I really appreciate that message that you're sending out. Well, thank you. And, you know, I, it, the, the better we are at partnering with families, the better uh, our children um, that, that come to our schools, the better they can be served. Bravo. I agree. I'm hoping the message that's being carried throughout the country now with preschool and trying to kind of highlight those um, pre-kindergarten experiences at, at on equitable platforms for all of our students, especially those that may not be getting those experiences other than in, in a school community. Yeah, preschool for all. I suppose that should be the real message. You're, you're right, thanks for, for reminding sure. me. For I sure, for sure. Preschool for all. I love it. Yeah. And I like to remind my sister that I didn't get to go to preschool and she did. Yeah, that's because. <laughs> Mom worked there, so she didn't have to pay for it. I know. I got to ride a school bus when I was really little, though, because she was a school bus driver then. Well, yeah, because I was at school and couldn't babysit you. <laughs> You're pretty wonderful. Mimi and KK, thank you. In a world with too few jokes and too few laughs, to the rescue comes Papa Ron. What did the baby corn say to the mama corn? Where's Papa corn? <laughs>